Welcome to Let's Talk Luxury, the Mazar's podcast series about how and why luxury brands are undergoing a business model makeover. In each episode, luxury experts discuss what's happening in the sector, including authenticity, circularity, new customer cohorts, and retail experiences worth posting about. The luxury business model is changing, and in this series, we'll explore how to stay in vogue. So, let's talk luxury. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Amy Smilovic, founder and creative director of Tibby, an independently owned brand maintained by a collaborative team of creatives across all disciplines. It's great to have you on the podcast, Amy. Thank you. Luxury fashion has been changing for decades, and even greater change is on the horizon. Luxury customers today experience brands in new ways and purchase goods knowing they can easily and expertly be repaired and resold. Meanwhile, technological innovations are helping luxury brands update their business model and partnerships have become vital to creating greater circularity and environmental sustainability. Against that context, how has Tibby been a part of this change? What would you say is Tibby's contribution to a recent transformation in the luxury sector? Well, I think that one of the biggest buzzwords in the last decade, right, has been about authenticity. But I really think it's only in the last couple of years and in luxury for sure that the definition of authenticity has crystallized. Um, I, I know everyone had it up like in boardrooms, but it was kind of like the fact that it was even in boardrooms and discussed kind of made it inauthentic to begin with, right? And um, COVID really left us in a place where authenticity was no longer a business strategy. It was simply like all that you had. You only had yourself. And it's kind of like the irony of how much people will spend to have a minimal lifestyle. But conversely, if you have very little money to spend, you are minimalist, right? And, And one of those is authentic and one of those may not be as authentic. So for us, when COVID hit, we had a small team of creatives and the clothing that we had produced and iPhone and social media, and that was it. Uh, you didn't have your storage, you didn't have runways or events, and it was literally about what are you going to do to survive? And then you try things and you see successes and you really then have to question if what you were doing is a new reality or is it just a placeholder until things go back to normal? And what we realize is that it's not a placeholder, it's us. We found a way to truly be authentic and it really resonates. And I can't help but think that if it's working for us, that that works for others and that that trend really starts to um, to take grip. In a recent New York Times article that covered TB's COVID-19 experience, um, you said in the future you would like to wear pieces that act like attachments, turning existing garments into something entirely new, like giant asymmetrical collars layered over a sweatshirt. How far along are luxury brands and their customers in making that apparel as attachments vision a reality? Well, I think that I would refocus the word attachments to really mean items that are multifaceted. And it's just simply not good enough to think about our clothing as outfits. And because what we buy is really an expression of who we are. And for me and for our customers, we're individuals that are curious, we're busy, we're smart, and we're clever. And what that means, for instance, is that we don't buy into the notion of buying tons of clothes that are sustainable because that seems a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, there is irony in that statement. 
And so our approach to sustainability is multifaceted. And so, yes, it means recycled fabrications and sustainable processes, but it also means making what you buy work really hard and working hard means being able to manipulate a piece so that you can wear it many ways, not to create different outfits for the sake of different outfits, but making an item work for all the different facets of your life, day, dinner, work, weekend, parent, wife, sister, you know, whatever. So, you know, that's how I think of attachments. It's ways to manipulate and uh, get a lot aware out of what you buy. You've described TV's philosophy as creative pragmatism. Do you think the luxury sector is being creative enough in its bids to be more sustainable? And what are some pragmatic steps forward you would like to see in the sector? Well, it's really hard to speak to an industry because the industry is ultimately lots of different companies run by different individuals. But, um, you know, I think luxury by definition is always somewhat sustainable because you rarely see shelves literally overflowing with $4,000 handbags. Um, where I find, for lack of a better word, um, it's not so cynical is there's that tension, that hypocrisy between touting sustainability while at the same time you have companies who have these rounds and rounds of funding and they have scaling goals and you look at what their scaling goals are and you simply know that you can't square that route. It is not achievable if you are employing a strategy that combines sustainable green components with a reduction in overproduction, yet you're, you know, you've set a goal for, you know, a 3000 fold increase over two years, you know? So, you know, the reality is too now all of that and you couple that with free shipping and the amount of returns and product that is hand delivered. I mean, we can look at all of this and you have to acknowledge that something's rotten. You know, there's double speak going on out there for sure. You've recently started to offer pre-reserve on some items via Instagram. If there isn't sufficient interest, the garment does not get made. It's great for sustainability, but I imagine it means long lead times. How should brands balance these two seemingly competitive demands? It's not pre-reserve in terms of you order it and then we make it and that's a long lead time. This is how we use pre-reserve. We we make something that we believe in. We make our collection. So the first thing is everything that we do, we really believe in. That's a new thing post COVID, but since we eliminated department stores from our matrix, we really don't create for um, companies. We create for ourselves and the knowledge that if we love it, others will love it. So when we create something that we love, we know that it can go three ways, right? It can be an immediate hit and everyone will recognize it for the greatness that it is, or two, it'll be a slow build. And, um, you know, maybe it's a slow build because we really pushed a new idea and we pushed it creatively and we know that internally we love it. And because we have the confidence that the customer will ultimately fall in love with something that we love, we just have to work hard to show them why we love it and have patience to kind of let it take root and grow. And then the third thing that does happen is we create something that we love, we make it, and then we start to look it around at each other in the office and we realize that none of us are wearing it. And, you know, that's a fail. And we wonder like, God, you know, we love this. We made it, but we ultimately ended up not wearing it. Where did we go wrong? And that does happen. So regarding pre-reserves, when we create something, I usually post a picture of it. And when I post a picture of it, I get an immediate reaction. And I'm saying I post it on social media. 
Um, but I do get an immediate reaction and getting no reaction counts as an immediate reaction. So people don't write you and say, oh my God, that's terrible. They just don't write you. And so when there are crickets out there, you know that either it's a slow build or we've got a failure. But sometimes you get this windfall of responses and it doesn't happen all the time by any stretch. So when you do, it's really important to pay attention to it. And so then we dig a little bit deeper. And if we feel like we've really got the thing that fell into bucket one, which is an immediate hit on our hands, then what we do is we get the image up there onto our website. We start letting people pre-reserve it. We do not take money or anything in advance, but this is solely just to give us an idea of how many people are in love with something. Because there'll be something where we'll order, you know, oftentimes 50 pieces of something, and then we realize that it's a hit, and we'll have 1,500 people sign up for it. So, you know, when you've got that big of a delta between what you thought was going to be and what the reality is, um, you know, you want to make sure that you can capture that upside, but you certainly don't ever want to go in and be like, oh, we had 1,500 pre-reserves on that, so let's just apply that math across all of our different styles. You really want to have some assurance that it's going to work, and that that's what the pre-reserves do for us. You said to Harper's Bazaar that Tibby does not chase trends, it follows its own lead, and it served the brand well. What's your advice to young luxury designers and brands? How do they stay true to themselves despite the temptations to follow the lead of others? I mean, for sure, you do have to stay true to yourself. The problem is, is that most people don't know who they are yet, especially, I mean, not young designers in general, but just young people in general. Like, most young people, and by young, I mean like under 40, you know, you're still really figuring that out. And post 40, you're still figuring out. So um, I think that, you know, the way that I try and work and mentor young designers is to get them to really try and articulate who they are. And honestly, even after having done this for 25 years, it wasn't until COVID that I was really able to do this best because when COVID hit, I was forced to talk directly with the customers. And because it was over Instagram, being verbose was not an option. So when you're forced to explain yourself in a few characters in an IG story, then it's inevitable that you'll start to really clarify your positioning. You will speak in a very direct way. There's that famous Abraham Lincoln quote that said, I'm sorry for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one you know, being concise is really uh, helpful and it takes time and you have to be thoughtful to be concise. And so for young designers, one of the worst paths you can take, um, and you really can't point to anyone who's been successful here by being a total niche. And, but granted, I do define success in different ways than most, but um, you really cannot define yourself by objects. And I tell people not to use nouns to describe themselves. So, you know, don't say that your brand is about a full skirt or tight body suits. You really need to define yourself by adjectives like creative or pragmatic, curious, considered. Um, so in our case, that means everything we do, because we are creative and pragmatic and curious, everything we do should be pushed. It should challenge ourselves creatively, but it has to be useful and functional and it has to be familiar in some way, respectful, refined. And so with these adjectives, I have a really broad band within to create, 
but I also have boundaries set. And so young designers need to set their boundaries and they need to never, ever let a store push them outside the boundaries or create a little tiny cage within the big circle that they've created for themselves. So, um, you know, I said I define success differently than most and to be creative and work with unbelievable creative talent every day and be really proud of what we're making um, and to be doing it as an independent company that has um, never had to go outside for financial resources. That, that to me is a definition of success. So I always do want to couch it like, you know, I don't know if you're planning on flipping it to a massive investor in two years, then yeah, focus on that one skirt, ramp it up, you know, hot potato, ditch it, uh, ditch it when it's high, but that's not, that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. Thank you, Amy, for your time today and for helping us get your perspectives on transformations in the fashion business model and on the future of luxury. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Luxury. To find out more about the changes in the luxury sector, search Mazars making over the luxury business model, or follow the link in the show notes. To keep up with this series, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or go to mazars.com.